Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Peter Musset. And my name is Scott Powell. You are listening to the Lanky Guys. The word for better for better or for worse. It's really funny. I meant, to, I meant to say the word on the hill, but Did I said not? the podcast as if it's the like preeminent like the the capital the, T the platonic form of podcast <laughs> the platonic form of podcast <laughs> oh lord if we are the platonic form of podcast then. then lord have mercy on the whole world and the podcasts thereof <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying out some new microphones today you we're guys. also in person with each other can we talk about that for a second it's so we're, nice. we're actually in the same room which yeah. is we're following social distancing protocols but but we're together so right. there's it we're we're the the loosening is happening which is exciting it's just fun it is okay i'm a six foot two individual okay, okay i'm six foot one and three quarters so i just always imagine myself um, floating oh, yeah. horizontally between me and other people. <laughs> I see where this was going. Yeah, because it's six foot social yeah. distancing. So I just imagine myself if How I were like levitating of on, there in a horizontal. Are there here? Yeah, just yeah. Like, is there me and a half? Is there me? Because <laughs> that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> Close it in, man. <laughs> Close it in. <laughs> uh, speaking of. Okay, we. I'm. Okay. Ex- I'm experiencing a super meta. I'm having a total meta experience. Tell me more. Today. Okay. In the traditional sense of the term, is oh, right. the Ascension. Yeah, because traditionally the Ascension was celebrated on Thursday, of which today is when we're recording. Ascension Thursday, so that you have nine days for the prayer for the Holy Spirit for Pentecost. Which is where we get the idea of novenas right. coming from nine. So what's happening is that we're on the day, uh, the traditional day of Ascension, Correct. Ascension Thursday, preparing which is, for Ascension th- Sunday. Which is, it still is the day of the ascension we just happen to celebrate it it's um what, what's the word that we use on calendars observed observed on sunday right which is fine it's not like the church is saying no we're changing the date of the we, yes it's happening but to make it as accessible to the greatest amount of people I, there's some sense to that mm. and not every diocese does that right some dioceses keep it on thursday right so so I don't know where you are in the world, but you could actually be rocking the readings on the day of, which is super cool. Which also means on the flip side, on the negative side, that if your diocese, and I assume there's some, I guess we should fact check that. If you if your diocese ac- uh, celebrates the Ascension on Thursday not and doesn't move it to Sunday, then you will have a different set of readings on Sunday than what we're talking about today. Right. So there you go. So we're doing the Ascension. So if you're doing seventh Sunday of Easter, you're out of luck. <laughs> good, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Hope you hope you figure it out, oh, friends. That's very. <laughs> sorry, you got an edge to that. No, man. You know what it is. Tell is, me. Is that I, I know what it is. I've been alone in my house. Oh yeah. With my <laughs> parochial vicar. Yeah. Who and, lives two stories away? Yeah, yeah like I, I've had a floor to myself. It's a big house. And uh, and uh, and so then I. Uh, uh, and and I just I don't know why, but I've just decided that I'm going to be very direct as of late. That's fair. I'm, I'm really direct with, with you, though, too, Scott. That's fair. I'm used to it. Yeah, you I are. can take it. I can handle yeah. it. Yeah. Some of our listeners, uh, I met with one of our listeners, oh, no. and he was like, he's like, he was really hoping that I wouldn't treat him like I treat you, and I was like, oh no, I'm a bad person. <laughs> oh, that makes me so. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry, that delights me. Yeah, it's, he, I don't know why it delights <laughs> me so much. <laughs> Oh, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, know. it evoked something weird emotionally, and I don't know where yeah, that yeah. came from. Yeah, yeah. It's, All right, it, it's it's a it's a deep sense of justice, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the ascension, 
um, let's ascend into the readings. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Well, that was poetic. Hey, man. Well that's, I've been alone for a long time. Yeah, man. yeah. Okay. Okay. Our first reading is from the Acts, A-X-E of the Apostles, um, chapter one, <laughs> verse one to verse 11. This is one of my favorite numberings of all of what we do in our year. One, 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 one. One, 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 one. Yeah. All right. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 47, verses 2 through 3, 6 through 7, and 8 through 9, with the response coming from 6. Okay. So then our second (laughs) reading is from Ephesians, chapter Mm. 1, verses 17 to 23. Mm, I love the Ephesians. Tell you that. Our gospel is a short one. It's coming from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Sometimes called the great omission. Because <laughs> we don't do it very well. Oh. We'll come back to that. Dude, I, I, have to, I have meditated a lot on that section of um, scripture just in my own life, and I preach about it consistently. Well, now you have an opportunity to do it uh, publicly. Publicly. Hold on. I mean, I guess it's always publicly when I preach, but it's. I don't know of, who you preach to. <laughs> you can get preachy to your parents and you know, to your roommate. I don't know. You're I get preachy to get... you, bro. Yeah, I know. You don't really. No. Yeah, you don't really get preachy to me. No. It, you want to know Sometimes why? I get it to you and then you get annoyed and then we... Papa, don't preach. Okay. All right, here we go. Sleep. I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Okay, Acts. Um, this is super helpful for me. I have to say that like... Knowing that Luke and Acts are kind of a whole together. Two volume set. Two volume will. set. Yeah. Uh, like a, a diptych. <laughs> I'm not calling you a dip. A trip what? a triptych is three. A diptych is two. I know what a triptych is, but is a diptych a, a thing? Yeah, a diptych. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. So I <laughs> I just trying to... I find it so helpful to know that these are bound together yes, because yes. then you have yep. an opportunity to be able to read Luke's in a Luke's Luke in a certain way and Acts in a certain way. Yeah, and Luke is. I mean, it, it's on a literary level. It's it's masterful the way he weaves these two volumes together because right. one of the things that he chooses to do, and this is what I think brings out the meaning of Acts of the Apostles. Um, Jesus and John's gospel makes it clear that, you know, the things that we have recorded in the gospels are, are a tiny fraction of all the things that Jesus said and did. So there's so many more things, especially in three years of ministry. He does a lot of stuff. Right. But what Luke does is he purposely chooses of all of those things that Jesus said and taught. Luke chooses those things to demonstrate Jesus doing in Luke so he can show the church doing the very same things in Acts of the Apostles. Absolutely. And he's very purposeful about that because he wants you to see the church in Acts being the continuation of what Jesus does in Luke. Right. And that's really purposeful. It, so it, it, it comes back. It, a lot of what we have in this reading, although it's about the ascension, of course, and Jesus going into heaven after the resurrection, a lot of it speaks to the nature of what the church is. Which is important, even just the the view of Acts of the Apostles as a whole, because what Acts is doing is teaching us what the church is supposed to be. And it's significant because he begins, he says in the first line, right, in the first book, O Theophilus, the, 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 um, the recipient of both of these writings, and there's been great debate over who Theophilus is, and right. um, there's lots of opinions on there. I actually think he, he is a prominent Jewish leader. I think he might have been the high priest. Um, there's other opinions, maybe a Roman, um, you know, a Roman um, political figure or something like that. Anyway, but he's writing to this person. He says, I dealt in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus, ah, the NAB, 
The NAB got me. You got me, NAB. (laughs) What did it do? Well, in other translations and in the Greek, sorry, not to to get all pompous about this, the the NAB softens this to try to make it more readable. But what the text actually says, and I, I didn't notice this, what the text actually says is Luke says, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the New American Bible, for some reason, in our readings takes out the word began, right. which is significant because if the first it, book it, it was goes the right beginning, against right. what, what we're just talking about is... And it doesn't is, go against it, but it, it leaves out a piece. Well, it, what it does is it doesn't frame it for you to help Correct. you understand. Correct. He began to do and teach this himself, Which suggests that he continued, continued to do and teach it in the church. Through the apostles. Right. Because again, the premise is Jesus is still continuing to do it. He's just doing it through them right. and through the church. Right. So that is important. And the, the other place you really see this clearly, I think, is when Saul, during his conversion, is thrown to the ground on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Me. And he's like, well, I'm persecuting these Christians, the church. But Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, it's me. They are embodying me. Right. So that's that's so important for understanding what Luke is doing in Acts of the Apostles. Absolutely. And what we get here in the very beginning is the setup for the whole thing. Right. Um, and so what I, the other thing that's nice about Luke, I, I don't know why I always go to this. I, I The way that he begins Acts of the Apostles, it's always, I love it. And there's there's actually a technical term for this that I'm forgetting. But he basically gives like a last week on growing pains. You know, right, it, it's right. a very special episode one. But it's it, he does give, he gives a summary of what he basically ended with in, Acts, in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. And then he gives you a little bit more. He gives you some more information. Right. And the only couple things I want to pull out of this first reading is that, so it says in the first book, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And that's kind of where the gospel left off. You you really can honestly read the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke, if you read it on its own, always sounds, at least to me, almost that the the ending is kind of artificial. Because they see Jesus risen from the dead. They, they experience all these things. And then it says then they went back into the temple and they just kind of stayed there and prayed. <laughs> the end. And you're right. like, wait a minute, what about the rest of it? You're like, come but, on. But Luke is like, well, read part two to find out more right dude, find out the next phase of their life right it's 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 like a double episode you know what I'm it's saying? a double like, episode but know? he wants you to, he wants to leave you hanging and that's what all the greatest writers do right they leave you hanging at the end so that you keep reading because luke actually understands I mean, Ecclesi- wasn't it wasn't it a charles dixon dix charles dixon dickinson dickinson <laughs> why did i come I up know, with that man. um who he literally had uh, like somebody hanging by their fingertips they call it a cliffhanger because, because literally he was, hanging from he was literally hanging from a cliff which is kind of what luke did. yeah i don't have anything that was funny I, wish I could add something to it. <laughs> but that's what he does right. because it, it if you just read luke on its own you're like uh, that doesn't that and and what the church actually gives us this week is the ending of the gospel of matthew which is very different because matthew doesn't have a second volume, and so he kind of leaves you more satisfied with the ending. It's like, oh, okay, I can see where this is all going. Right. Luke wants to tell you in detail about it. So, But he gives you more information. So, till the day he was taken up, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive. Again, he's just recapping. He appeared by many proofs. He appeared to them during these 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God. One thing I want to note is that the most repeated idea in all of Jesus's teaching and preaching is the concept of the kingdom of God, sometimes called in the gospel of Matthew, at least the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. The thing that Jesus literally just quantitatively, the thing that Jesus teaches about most is the kingdom. 
And if we have a proper ecclesial theology, then what we understand is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the church. Right. Because a kingdom is not a metaphor. It's something with a king and a structure and a hierarchy and and, and people, performs action and performs within the world. Actions within the world that are visible. Right. That is what Jesus is talking about. And so the thing Jesus talks about most is quite literally the church. The Basileia tu theu. Bas- the kingdom of God, absolutely. I, I, I love, and I actually want to encourage you all to, to have that phrase within your mind, the Basileia tu theu. It's a, that's the Greek. It says the kingdom of God. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like, it, it, just because it's, it's fun to have theological terms and to be able to relate to one another. And it's those. impressive to know Greek. Right. Everybody and knows that. You, you feel so much cooler when you're like, uh, this is the Basileia Tutheu. Yeah, it's true. Which would be a good band name. Basileia. It would be cumbersome. But, but we all Basileia Tutheu. It's like the definition of hipster. <laughs> let's just do it more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Let's take that, which is normal. And, and make do it, it cumbersome. Yeah, exactly. Like so a the... wooden typewriter on my unicycle <laughs> with my monocle. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Um, so, so, okay, so the kingdom of God so speaking, is, is, is a real reality that exists within the world. And, yeah. and it's, it's not just some sort of weird um, intellectual fabrication. Or a place in our hearts or simply the place that we go when we die. Right. All of those things are a part of it, right? right. It is bigger than what we can see on the world. Right. It is what we will, praise be to God, experience, you know, the beatific vision. But it also is very much a here and now reality. And the one thing I know about first century Judaism right. is that they were very much a culture of the here and now, the, the present uh-huh. time. The, things that are tangible and real and sensible yes. were very important. So for Jesus to just preach about abstractions would have been utterly frustrating. Well, I mean, and, and that's actually a funny thing is because you had actually the Greek church um, I- encountering the, the Semitic <laughs> church. Oh man, that was a mess. Because what happens is, is that's why you hear um, you hear Paul, and he says, "What did <coughs> Jews demand a sign?" Yep. And, and Greeks seek wisdom. Right, exactly. Because what happens is the Greeks have a tendency to be more philosophical and abstract, whereas yeah, as the Jews have a more tendency concrete, and, concrete, and poetic, symbolic, and symbolic, poetic. Yes. And like like these are real manifestations of God's glory. And they're like, look at this beautiful abstract thing, which still <laughs> exists within. Just think about that for a second in your in yourselves. It's like think about how Okay, are are we looking for the signs or are mm. we looking for wisdom? And and there was a while there. I would say there was a good 20, 30, 40 years in the church, maybe even 50 to 100 years in the church where we lived the religious life as as um as an intellectual exercise. Uh-huh. versus um actually doing the the the, the churches as um, and, and then you can feel the contrast. I actually think that this exists within the whole history of the church is the contrast between. I see it existing in individuals in the church, too. I mean, you can so, so many myself and so many people I know are conversions right. vacillate between those things. Right. Right. And so in a certain sense, what the church has experienced on a macro level, we all experience on this kind of micro level. Of, is it just an intellectual thing? And actually that that comes that's going to come back into play in the gospel, I think. Oh, OK. In, in a really good way, I think. Yeah. Um, but the only other thing I want to say about that, if you would, so yeah, so, would. so Jesus comes back and during these 40 days that he's back appearing to his disciples, what's he talking about? He's talking about the church, right. which they don't understand fully yet. They're, they will, and it'll be enlightened. Um, but he's talking about them. And then 
Uh, it talks about baptism, but jumping says when they had gathered together, they asked him, the, the apostles, Lord, are you at this time finally? So he's been talking about the kingdom of God. Right. They know it's not an abstraction. These are first century Jews. Absolutely. They're not looking for an abstraction. They're looking for the kingdom of David come back Manifest. with a king and a queen and a palace and stewards and, and every you know, crowns and robes and everything. Jesters. That jesters. <laughs> but they're, they're expecting all this stuff. They're like, we, we get you. We hear what you're saying, but you're never quite giving us what we're looking for. And so now he's risen from the dead. They have still not been brought, to, their minds have not been enlightened by the Holy Spirit yet. Well, and I mean, so, think about this for a second. You've been anticipating. He says the kingdom of God is here. You know, repent and believe. And yeah. and then for forty days, you're hanging out in in quarantine. And no, kind of, you know, or, I mean, not exactly. And well, kind I, of though. I mean, in a certain of, sense, they're trying to. Because he says, it out. well, read what he says in Acts. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay put. Don't leave. He's like, go back to Jerusalem and wait there until I tell you. Right. So, in a certain sense, he does say to do that. Right. And so he comes back and they say, Lord, okay, now is this finally, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And and they're like, okay, we get it. Like finally. And his answer has got to be so frustrating. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. We talked last week about this table of contents that Acts gives us. Jerusalem. Judea, so, Samaria, and, and out to the ends of the earth. So right, they which say is the process. So they're like, "All right, now are you going to restore the kingdom? Now is now the moment we're finally going to see it?" And he's like, "What is he? He doesn't give a yes or no answer. He gives a cagey answer. <laughs> he basically says, none of your business.' <laughs> that's what he says. I to know him. it's how oh, it hurts, but, but it's important because it's not no. The none of your business implies yes. I am." But it's not for you to know the way or the time that I'm going to do it. Your duty is to do your job. And if I've asked you to stay in quarantine for a while in Jerusalem, do it. And if I give you Holy Spirit power to go out and do something else, do it. Your job is not to worry about my business. Your job is to do the job that's been entrusted to you. Which there's something frustrating and comforting simultaneously for me about that. Yeah, you you and me both. I mean, like, there's something so powerful about... Being a soldier at base camp in battle preparedness. Yeah. Knowing that the generals are off in that tent over there, meeting, strategizing, trying to figure out what's next, desperately wanting to know and what's like, the next step. Right. And you're like, I want to send me in, coach. Send right. me in. Send right. me in, general. Like, like, like right. I want to be on mission. Send me to the lines. And then you're, and then the Lord. Or I just want to be in the room and know what's going on. Oh, like, I know. tell me the plan. What's the strategy? Oh, yeah. Which and, is what the apostles are saying. And then, like, it's not for you to know the strategy. Right. And Jesus is like, hey, um, I'm going to go. And, and this, is, this is actually, <laughs> this is the interesting thing, um, is that this is the completion of the full mystery of Christ. No. I disagree. Continue. Well, because well, uh, uh, Pente- Pentecost really is. No. No? No. No, say I mean, what you're going to say, though. This is important. This is really important. Well, I mean, uh, uh, okay. Let me let me frame what I'm what I'm talking about. Normally, as we say, Jesus uh, became man. Suffered, I've been reflecting on this. Suffered, lately. died, and rise and rose from the dead. Right. And that's where and we, we stop. put a period there. Right. Versus saying no. Then he ascended back to the father. Then he ascended to the father to send the Holy Spirit into right. our hearts. And yes. so so that's wh- that's why l- l- in a certain sense it, it's it's his act of bringing and introducing our humanity into yeah. the divine godhead 
because like, that's actually what's what what the what the difference is is he, he's always been in the community of the Trinity. Now in his ascension, what he does is he brings along with him the fullness of humanity and introduces Absolutely. into the, the the divine life of Father, Son, and Spirit. Absolutely. So that the Spirit then will then come and be with us and allow us to experience some level of the community Absolutely. of the inner life of the Trinity. Absolutely, which is what we see at Pentecost, of right. course. Yeah. That's all I got to say. I know. I, I, I don't want to go where I was going to go. There's, I there's, it's too much. No. no the second coming come is, is going to be the completion of it. Okay. No, and no. We've I, talked I, about. So, in well, a, I mean, that's your thesis. How are you not going to say that? Well, no, but my new, my, the, it's relatively new. The, my new understanding of the, the Jewish Feast of Atonement yeah. is the analogy for this whole thing. When the high priest goes into the tabernacle to perform the sacrifice and everyone waits outside for the return. Right. At the moment of the ascension, this is when Jesus, according to the letter to the Hebrews, goes into the sanctuary, into the heavenly temple, the one made without human hands, to offer once and for all the sacrifice of himself to the Father in the temple. Mm -hmm. And what is our responsibility? It's to wait. Anticipate. It's to anticipate and be ready. This This is the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew, right? To be ready at all times because at some point he's going to come back and he's going to be like, everything that you've hoped for, everything that you've trusted in, everything that you've given yourself to me for, I'm going to lift the veil and you can see it in its fullness. Mm. And I'm going off to the Father. I mean, he says to the apostles, essentially, I'm going off to the Father now. You're not going to see me for a while. He's still present, right? We were given the Eucharist. We're given the sacraments. But you're not going to see me for a while. So your job is to be patient and trust and move on my authority. Then I'm going to give you a Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. Do the job without fully worrying about my strategy of it and wait for the moment that I come back, lift the veil and all things are brought to completion. Mm. So we're still in a waiting pattern. Right. It's not done yet. No. Which is important. I mean, that, and that's. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's actually radically important, but it gives the whole, that tells me, okay, that's how I'm supposed to live life. That's what makes life actually livable. Right. Well, and this is actually what I've been thinking about when it comes to um, the, like, there's something about the global reality of the pandemic that you go, ah, you know, like right. I, I was like, I was like, is God going to come back at Easter? Nope. And, nope. He didn't. Well, we're still in Easter. Yeah, we're so still we in still Easter. Get a, we still got a week and a half. But, but then I was, I was like, is he going to come back at the Ascension? And then I'm like, actually, Pentecost. I'm like, dude, if I was going to time something, I'm like, that's pretty cool. I mean, like. Could be, but uh, or just know. the next or on Monday, just to throw oh, us no. off, <laughs> <laughs> just to just so they skip which, a beat. That sounds like Jesus to me. Yeah, that's just like ah. So, the, but, which gets us. Oh, we should keep going into the psalm. Yeah, though. and the psalm is actually really significant. Psalm forty-seven was actually a psalm that's believed to come from the time of the height of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. When so speaking of what you were just saying, when Jesus Jesus goes and ascends his throne, and you talked about it being this new worldwide reality. It's what allows the. Ch- the ascension is what a la- it's not it's not over yet until he comes back. Right. But the ascension and the enthronement after the ascension as he goes and sits at the right hand of the Father, that's what makes it possible for Pentecost to happen, which is what makes it possible for the church to go and be the church. And in the Old Testament sense, that's what Psalm 47 is actually talking about. It's moving from Psalm 46 which talked about God being the king of Israel 
and and really talking about David and the Davidic king being this ruler too, the sign that the Davidic king is supposed to be to the whole world. We have a responsibility to actually embody and be an icon of God and his kingship, not just to ourselves and our little, you know, neighborhoods and our little our little group, but to the whole of the earth. So because God mounts his thrones to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord, all peoples, all nations clap hands, cry to God with joy and, and gladness. It's it's what Old Testament Israel always aspired to and never was able to pull off, mm-hmm. which New Testament Israel, i.e. the church, now empowered with the Holy Spirit in a new way, is able to actually accomplish. So it's this psalm that's been waiting until Pentecost, really, for its fulfillment, speaking about the ascension in sort of a, a distant way. Does that right. make sense? Absolutely, it does. So it's a cool psalm, how, how it fits in this, Yeah, I think. I think it's real cool. Um, I think what's what's uh, in the psalm the, the typical way that's a blare of trumpets <laughs> for the Lord. My brain is singing it. I know <laughs> it's hard not to. That's but, the beauty of being Catholic, right? Well, th- that's the thing is it's it's it, it's a song. It's yeah. a song, and we should actually have psalmoi means song, right? In we, we should have actually that in our brains, and so because um, that's actually that's actually what it means to be formed, right, in the mind of the church. That things, a sentence of something or a phrase is meant to evoke a, bra- a greater narrative or a greater song or a, a piece of music or of art. I mean, that's the whole way the church is taught. Some things are meant to evoke a bigger, broader picture. Right. That, so that's right, you know. Right. That's, and, and, and that's actually the, the whole, <laughs> that's the method of, of what we do in the podcast, even in relationship to, pod, uh, to popular culture. Oh. They're saying yeah. into podcasts. Yeah. Damn. So Ephesians, dude, you were you were getting excited a little earlier about Ephesians, just because I like Ephesians. So the Ephesians, <laughs> yeah, no, I it's it's, ex- I uh, I don't have that much to say about Ephesians. <laughs> Come on, you I better like have, Ephesians, you better have though. a lot to say about. I Ephesians. love Ephesians. Part of the reason I love Ephesians, Ephesians is I'm going to get a little bit academic for a second. Ephesians, we've been actually pretty. We, we've pretty been good. we've been going with the eagle today. Well, I'm going to go the other way. Um, so Ephesians <laughs> is called often by scholars one of the quote-unquote disputed letters of Paul. What? So a lot of modern academics have a category of letters that are supposedly authored by Paul, but people don't actually believe he wrote them. So okay. Ephesians is in that category, one of the so-called disputed letters. Um, the, the pastoral epistles, Timothy, Titus, those fall in that category as well. And the general reasoning tends to be because... Ephesians, for example, doesn't sound like Paul in his other letters. It doesn't sound like Romans. It doesn't sound like Philippians or Galatians. And there's the, the tradition of the church has always said, no, of course, Paul it says Paul wrote it. That's actually a lie if it's not true. And that's actually more problematic for understanding of Scripture. But the thing I love about Ephesians is that it's one of the only letters and epistles of Paul that he writes not fighting a fight or not putting out a fire or not trying to solve some dispute that's happening in the church. Hmm. And so the part of the reason it sounds different than Paul's other letters right. is that it's Paul being allowed to speak on Paul's own terms. Right. Because, you know, Romans is written to solve a huge fight ethnically among these people in Rome. Corinthians is trying to dispute all of these heresies and bad teachings that are coming out. Philippians, he actually calls them fools or stupid because he's so ticked off. He's always fighting fights. I mean, it's like if the only times we ever heard from Archbishop Aquila was when, you know, we're in trouble for something you did or something went wrong and he's trying to, you know, 
saw, correct something in our parish. Right. And never being allowed to speak in, on what he wants to say. This is Paul saying, I mean, imagine, Father Peter, if you, I don't know, because you're always responding to something. And part of the job of the priest and as the homilist is responding to what's happening in the world with an interpretation of the scriptures. Correct. But imagine if you were just free, and I know you well enough to know this is a scary thought, but just imagine if you were just free, just say whatever you want. You just got a platform to say anything that you're feeling. It'd be different than your normal homilies. It'd be, right. you know, but this is no, sort of Paul's like, all right, absolutely. I just want to speak from my heart. Well, I mean, like, like when I preach, I'm always actually in a very specific way, having a conversation with the scriptures in it, within the midst of the which liturgy is your in the job, liturgical year, which is your job. That's absolutely. what you're supposed to do. And like every once in a while they say, Hey, would you give a talk? Right, and Pick you're your like, topic. and you're like, oh, which is a little paralyzing. It, 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 sometimes it's paralyzing, and there, there's, and but then you also start to say stuff that you are, you you make connections and right. expressions that right. are just different when you're trying to deal with some sort of pastoral situation or some sort of outside influence. It's like, what is the wisdom that is contained with inside of you? And you're like, exactly. well. You, now that you asked. And that's what Ephesians is. And right. that's why it's different. And it's, it's scholars hate Ephesians. Part, uh, secular. A lot of some academics, sc- some, some scholar. scholars hate <laughs> Ephesians because it's almost impossible to tell, at least for the first three chapters, it's almost impossible to tell where Paul's opening statement and his prayer end and the body of the letter and his theology begins because right. he's weaving in and out of praying and saying stuff and giving advice. And scholars are just, they're like, how do you, how do you part? We want to parse out, okay, where's the opening? Where is the, you know, the table of contents? Where is this? Where is that? And Paul, I mean, this is how theology should be done. Right. That it's constantly, theology should be done. I mean, you've seen my shelves. I have so many boring theology books, which are important and they're necessary. But so many, so few of them are born out of a life of prayer. Right. And the theology textbook to be indecipherable from where the author's prayer life ends and where their academia begins. This is what Ephesians is doing. And when Paul is sort of let loose and set free to do that, what Ephesians actually gives us is the most full-bodied theology of the church, the ecclesiology that the epistles give us. Right. And it's like uh, I had a friend uh, who, Thomas Smith, always compared it to a jeweler's setting, that he takes this jewel that is the church and this setting and is able to examine the jewel from all these different points of view. It's a mystery. It's a plan that God had. It is a body. It's a family. All these different perspectives on what this thing that was given to us, starting in Acts of the Apostles, that the church has continued the work of Jesus. What is that meant to look like? Right. And the two most important themes, I think, that come out of the beginning part of the letter, which is where we kind of come in here, is the theme of um, plan and mystery. There is an oikonomia is the Greek term, right? God has had a plan. He's so not there's just an oikonomia for the Basilea Tutheu. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you went there. There's an oik- oikonomia uh, means oikos is the Greek word for house and nomos is the Greek word for law. So literally there's house rules. There's a family agenda. There's an order for the way the family of God is supposed to operate. Like my family has dinner at a certain time and there's certain responsibilities and chores. Every family is supposed to have stuff like that. And so Paul's like, the church is no different. God has an order because God is order. So it's appropriate that the church looks like this. But it's also a mystery 
in that he's been slowly revealing what his plan has been from the beginning. And we right. are a part of the mystery, not mystery in the sense of God wants to keep what I, I, growing up in the church. And I don't know if this was true or not, but I always had the, the feeling that when I asked the hard questions of like the youth minister or the priest or whatever it was, I always got the answer like, Oh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, <laughs> which always felt like we don't know. God's kind of keeping it from us. So just shut your mouth. Which is not what the scriptures mean by mystery, mysterion. Mysterion it doesn't mean something it, it, kept from us. It means something that is being revealed in to a progressive us. way. It's kind it's of like lost. I'm I'm that so you deep need in to kind of go through lost. It, you need the previous episodes and seasons to be like, oh, um, that's why that. But, that thing. But, but then if you have philosophy and political science mm. and these different things, then all of a sudden you understand the naming of the individuals and like right, you, right. The, the more you bring into loss, the more the you more actually revealed, right. It's more, it's more, um, um, expressed in its fullness, which the analogy is the more you understand of salvation history and the way that God's oikonomia has worked through the centuries, the more the church will make sense. And the more we will be equipped to read the signs of the times. Right. Not just in the church, but in the world, we will be more equipped to understand the mystery and say, oh, it's like that. Right. Okay, I, I can hang with this because I understand the story and yeah. I see where the connections are. Yeah. That's why this is important. I didn't really talk about the text, but that's what <laughs> this part of Ephesians <laughs> is doing. Right. Uh, so, And it does talk about this part of Ephesians talks about the actual ascension. It's like, hey, remember that time when Jesus ascended and heaven was thrown? <laughs> that's what we're moving in the power of. Yeah. And and is seating <clears throat> him at his right hand in the heavens, right. far above everything, every principality, authority, power, dominion, every name, which is, which is to say that he truly is supreme in his Godhead reality. Reality, because yeah. you, you have to remember that uh, the um, Ephesus was the the place right. where um, they worshipped other gods. It was the kind of headquarters for what we would call anachronistically like the occult, right? It's Be where they made spell books and where they made amulets, and that was their industry. Because um, at the core of of humanity is this deep desire to be above both other humans and the environment in quality and kind. The, and not even be above to it, be but God. to control it, to right. be able to manipulate it. That's what I'm saying yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. to be, and that's yeah. why I yeah, say quality you, and yeah, kind. You're right. you, 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 I, I actually am above this. I am godlike. And right. so he's saying to the Ephesians in this moment yeah. to say, no, no, we have a true God who is actually above every principality, authority, power, dominion, every name in this age and any time. Which are all categories of angelic beings. Right. Which is, so he's saying. Which that, would have really stuck with the people who are very much involved in this world. Yeah. And that's. And that's why this particular passage is, is to say that we are, a, we have God with us. Right. So, Emmanuel. Yeah. Which brings us to it God us. not being with us. <laughs> but he is. But he is, though. I know. I mean, I'm I just, know. I, it's, I know. That's a tongue It was cheek. good. That was pretty good, actually. Yeah. All right. So our short little gospel from Matthew 28. Don't call me short. Ah. So Matthew's close. Um. I just, before you, you blow our minds, the only I, two I'm pieces. Not, I, I really don't have anything to blow yeah, your mind. Yeah, you do. It, I see it. In, no, it's not there. Um, there's just a couple things that stick out just on like a, just if you read it at face value, 
the 11, and it's a different, they're not in conflict with each other because I think there's different moments and there's a lot of, 40 days is a long time to do a lot right. of different things, right? So the go, the end of the Gospels, 49. the end of the Gospels, um, there's a, Luke gives us a different, different stuff than Matthew does. Because right. Luke says, stay in Jerusalem until I come. Matthew says they went out to Galilee. I think both actually happened. They just happened at different moments. Um, but Matthew's significant because he's like, I actually want to tell this part. I'm going to tell something different. And so the 11 disciples, that that just sticks in my head. 11, 11. 11, it's meant to make you see, number one, things aren't complete yet. Because Basileia we're missing. Theo, it's not yes. the Basileia Theo because we're missing an apostle. We're missing a head of the tribes because Judas is gone. And so it's that's meant to kind of stick like, oh, there's more. There's more to come. Jesus has more work to do. And they went to Galilee, which was... Not in Jerusalem. It's far away. It's where Jesus grew up. But I think what Matthew is trying to show, the reason he brings that detail to the front is he wants you to see the entirety of the Gospels coming full circle. Yes. Because this is where Jesus starts. This is where he begins to minister. This is where he begins to preach and teach. And now that everything is coming to completion, he takes them back where everything started. Yes. Because, again, if we understand salvation history, if we understand the narrative flow of the Gospels, this is what we need to read the signs of the times and say, oh, you love to bring things full circle. You love to complete where you began and bring things. And, and you know, the scriptures don't say anything about, about the pandemic. But again, we can read the principles of how God works in moments of fear and confusion and all sorts of things and be like, okay, I, I can read some signs in right. this and I can begin to. So I, it's significant that he, he, brings, he brings them where they started because of the principle that actually exists there. And then I love the, the I don't know if I love it or not, but I'm, I'm struck by it. It says when they saw him, they worshiped, which that's a physical word. They, they bowed down, they lay prostrate, but they doubted. And some translations say some of them doubted and there's debate. Okay, did some of them doubt? Did some of them believe? Are they all doubting? Are they confused? But here's what I love about it, and here's where it brings me back to the first reading, I guess. And this is just for me. Um, they worship, but they doubted. And I, 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 in my mind, I'm almost reversing it. Yeah. They doubted, but they still worshiped. And I just think of how many times, you know, in the sense of what's happening in the world and just in general, I just struggle. Like, are you there, God? Are you are you really moving things? It's me, Margaret. Is this... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, are you in control? Are you in right. control of this situation? Are you actually hearing me? But what do I do in those moments? Well, the only imperative of the Christian is you do it anyway. Right. You move forward anyway. And these guys are doubting, or at least some of them are, but they still do it. They move forward anyway. And we're all, you know, the, the Gospels are not this encouragement. Never doubt. Never question. Never falter in your faith. I mean, the Gospels are the stories of all of these schmoes who form the foundation of the Basileia to Theo, who are constantly doubting, constantly blowing it, constantly going the wrong direction, cutting off people's ears, doing all sorts of things they shouldn't be doing, but getting back up and doing the job anyway. Right. And there's so much for me encapsulated in that one phrase. They doubted, but they still worshipped. Yeah. And to doubt or be afraid or have anxiety and all those things that sometimes we just can't control and be like, I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to fall to my knees anyway. I'm going to well, sit in front of the dang computer and watch mass with my family, even though I wish I could be there anyway, because I'm going to do the job. That's what he said to the apostles. It's not your job to know my strategy. Right. It's your job to do your job. And this is what's wild is it says it's even in the midst of that experience of the uh, full, full experience of the human heart. Mm. 
of all of what you're talking about, you know, even though like some doubted, some are all in, some were, but, but Presumably, yeah. he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and go therefore and make disciples in this. Right. Go make disciples of all nations. All that, nations. All nations. Go make disciples. I mean, like that. Fulfill th- Psalm 47 right. is in a certain sense what he's saying to them. Yes. Uh, and which is uh, the, the word uh, disciple comes from the word for us in English, discipline. Yeah. Which if any of you are parents. Which is different than converts. He doesn't say go make converts. Right. He says make disciples. Right. And which brings us back to why you say some of us don't do that so well. Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's true. It's hard. like what is, what is actually, what is discipleship, but actually being willing to engage a person in such an intimate way yeah. that you can have real conversation about the things that are actually happening within their lives. That's right. Absolutely. Like, like, and to have conversation about what, what is the manifestation of the Basileia Tutheu in the economia of your uh, persistent zeitgeist. It's I'm a mysterion. <laughs> the persistent zeitgeist. Nice. Persistent zeitgeist is actually an oxymoron because zeitgeist just means spirit, the spirit of the, of the age. age. So it's never persistent. Oh, but then I mean, okay, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna go here with you. No, no, I mean, I'm just, uh, it's it's a joke. (laughs) But, 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 I always ruin jokes. I'm the worst with jokes. Well, uh, this, this is, this is a a gospel that happens all the time in Mm. baptisms. Yeah, right. And and this is the wild part is that a parent's job is actually to make disciples of their children. Absolutely, is it's it's the it's not a, and and teaching somebody a discipline because how do we actually wow that makes a big sorry. noise <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> um how do we actually have a discipline but to go through when our hearts are wavering this is right. this is why right. in a certain sense we, we actually had a hyper intellectual church for a long time yeah. is to say let's just intellectualize this rather right. than actually make this a concrete reality right. no it because it's saying we can't just make decisions out of the feeling levels of our heart right um though right. feelings are actually important they're not just That's, errant children that yes. need beaten you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> right is that aquinas yeah, I think that's uh, that a Aquinas. Like our boy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like yeah, yeah, no, like, like we actually pay attention and we invite God into the feeling level of our heart. Though he we wants all of it. Right. Though we don't just make decisions, just make decisions out of our emotional exactly. states. Exactly. Right. And so that's where But it, sometimes we do need to subordinate one to the other. No, they need to actually be together that's because absolutely. we it, uh, then we have a full human act. Right. The fullness of human act. Sure you can do that, but that's why when they bow down and they worshiped but they doubted the, what they're doing is they're having to hash out inside of them this crazy situation that is so hard to deal with. But thanks be to God that Matthew told us that. Yes. Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to include that detail. Right. He could have just been like, and they came and they rallied and he told them to go make disciples and everything was awesome. Right. But he, this subtle little thing, because he knew they're going to need to hear that. Well, Because they're going to know what the disciples did after that. But right. they need to know how hard it was to get there. Well, and as as a pastor, um, as a pastor of souls, what I experience in my own spiritual life isn't for everybody. I don't. I'm not yeah. constantly talking about the the experiences of doubt or struggle that I'm going through. Right. But what I'm still doing is I'm making disciples and showing people how to go through and to deal right. with the doubt and the experience. And sometimes my experience of doubt and struggle is really helpful to people. Yeah, of course. Um. But 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 the and that's the same thing with the parent. Yeah. You don't just give your kids. Well, when I was your, I mean, like right. the, the the when I was your age, I had to walk up <laughs> streets without shoes on, up 
stairs both ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, it, we, we don't just bring out all of the profound struggle. We right. actually help them as they go through their struggle, right. which is one of those things that we're, I think, culturally, we're actually learning how to do, even though we've been a little bit soft. And how do we, mm. how mm. do we express this in the fuller life of the Basileia Theu, and right. so that we have disciplines within our family so that there is house rules that we experience. And that's that's where we look to our leaders. We look for the will of God to come to us. Um, and, and, and we ask God in a direct way, but also from those who lead us, which is a really complex set of experiences. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, I'm so, exhausted. So yeah, so Lord, please introduce our humanity into your divine Godhead. Indeed. Because we need all the help we can get. Indeed. Yep. All right, you guys. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, of course. Enjoy Ascension that, either Thursday or Sunday. Yeah, that is unless the Lord came back just a little early, just for a good measure. He's going to come Monday. Yeah, or Saturday. Saturday <laughs> or, or Monday. Monday. Oh. <laughs> uh, we love you guys. Thank you for joining us. I am, uh, let us know what you think of the new microphones. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, don't fake the phone. Never. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.